So this morning, the sermon title is Obedience, Spirit and the Promises of God, which is quite a big subject really when we think about it, but thankfully we've been given a passage and um, the passage comes from John chapter 14. We're going to begin by reading through this passage and, um, and then we're going to explore together what it means for us today. So John chapter 14, starting at verse 15. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples on the evening of the Passover meal, which we have come to know as the Last Supper. And in a way, this is part of Jesus' big farewell, the big goodbye. He's readying his disciples, trying to tell them that this time tomorrow, I'll be gone. So John chapter 14, starting at verse 15. We're reading through to the end of verse 21. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. It's one of those passages, isn't it, that we can read and think, I'm just going to gloss over that bit, that's quite heavy, that's quite deep, that's quite involved and in-depth, and and actually I'm not entirely sure what Jesus is getting at. He he seems to say that he's going to send um, the Holy Spirit, at least I think that's who he's talking about, Um, but this sounds like a message for the disciples, quite specific. He's talking to them. This is quite an intimate, um, a window into a very intimate setting, a very intimate conversation. And there's a lot of language. Um, You kind of get the feeling that the message that's being said could be said in far fewer words. It sounds quite overbearing and overcomplicated. But actually this is absolutely vital to our understanding of the way that we can say today that we follow a living God. At college last semester, we were having a debate about something, and someone said, wouldn't it just be so much easier if we had a time machine (coughs) and we could just go back to live in the time of Jesus? And we could just say, when he came out with these slightly abstract statements, we could just say, hang on, hang on, hang on, Jesus, I don't understand. Can you just explain in simple language what you mean? But I'm not so sure that would make a difference. I'm not so sure that would make life much easier. Because actually the disciples, they had that opportunity. And to be fair, sometimes they took that opportunity. They said, Lord, we don't know what you mean. What are you talking about? Despite the fact that they had that opportunity, that they asked those questions, that that Jesus went to sometimes great lengths to clarify what he meant, 
They continually questioned him. They didn't understand who he was. One of them betrayed him, despite what he'd heard. The one who, who, who loved him denied him in the garden three times. Even after, after the crucifixion, when, when Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas doubted him and said he could actually put his hands in the wounds. Not a particularly pleasant image, but Thomas needed this physical evidence. So I'm not so sure that going back would solve all our problems, but if we could jump in a time machine and say, Jesus, what do you mean by that? Because, you see, the disciples didn't have the the benefit that we have of hindsight, being able to look back and see the different bits of the puzzle slotting into place. They were trying to grasp all these different ideas. It's no wonder they were confused. And I think that if we went back, and, and even without knowledge now, there would still be gaps, there would still be difficulties. You see, we we love knowing things, don't we? We love knowing what happens, how things work. Um, On Friday, Timothy had a non-pupil day to start half-term, and uh, so the three of us got in the car and we went up to Birmingham, and we went to Cadbury World, and we spent a day going around the the, the chocolate factory. It was brilliant, it's great. I don't know if you've been there, Um, but it is superb. And I had no idea about the history of chocolate, Frankly, I wasn't, didn't really care that much. Chocolate is chocolate. I've got it. That's all I'm concerned about. But it was really interesting to learn about the history of it, where it came from, how the, the crop developed and how, how uh, mankind's understanding of how to use it developed until eventually we've got what we've got today. It was fascinating. To be honest, if you ask me about the history of chocolate, I could, despite the fact that I've been to the factory just 48 hours ago while I was there, I would still give a very kind of hazy account because although all the information was given to me, I couldn't really understand it all. I'm no, I'm no engineer, I can't understand the way that beans are pressed and different extracts are taken and purified and, and turned into different things and then put back together. I, it's beyond me. I, I'm, no, I'm no chemist, I'm no engineer, I'm, I'm no chocolatier. And so I wouldn't be able to explain it very well. Sometimes having first-hand experience, it might seem like it it would offer us the solution, but it really wouldn't. (coughs) And this is why it's important, isn't it, that we are obedient. As I say, the title of today's sermon, Obedience, Spirit and the Promises of God. We have to be obedient. You see, this passage starts by Jesus saying, if you love me, so this is conditional. This is conditional. He's not about to say, "Um, right, here you go, Here's here's a voucher each, it's a free gift from me to you regardless of who you are, how you live life. He says, if you love me, he's talking to his disciples, and he still says, if, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So, we have to keep the commands. Sometimes, perhaps we can overdo it a bit about the, how Jesus has, has done everything for us. Well, of course he has, but there is still something we have to do for him. We still are called to live obedient lives that follow his commands, that that obey what he taught. Not because he's some sort of cruel, fun-ruining God who takes pleasure in seeing us suffer, but because he knows what's best for us. He says, the commands I've given you, look, this is the way you should live life. This is what is best for you. So if you love me, then you will follow those commands. 
Our response, is, our response to accepting Christ into our lives is to live a Christian life. And the Christian life is one that follows the commands of God, the commands of Christ. So this isn't some sort of freebie. But what's the benefit? Because we all love a benefit, don't we? If I say, follow my commands, you're not getting anything out of it, then you'd say, well, what's the point? Why? Of course not. I said to someone this week, the job I do, I, I enjoy it so much, I can honestly say I'd do it without getting paid for it. Now, I wouldn't tell the treasurer that, of course. Um, but I said that because before I, when I was working up in the city, I used to do so much voluntary work for the church because I loved it, because it was, it was so fulfilling. That was where I got my fulfilment in life, not out of my paid work. But for the large majority of people in life, they wouldn't do what they do for a job if they didn't get paid for it. Like Sally was saying earlier about the, the, the labourer. You know, a labourer labours because he or she has to, because that's work. And we work to get paid to feed our families, to put a roof over our heads, <coughs> and eventually one day to retire. What's the benefit here? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth, what we know as the Holy Spirit. There are many descriptions, different translations. Um, uh, use the words friend, helper, comforter, counsellor. All these, these words that just give this, this image of, um, of a close, intimate, reassuring presence in our lives. Jesus says, if you love me and you're obedient, you follow my commands, then I will intercede for you. I will ask God to send his spirit into you, to be with you. That's an amazing promise, is it not? I think that's a staggering promise that we can, we, if, we, if we are obedient to Jesus, if we follow the commands um, which, which are given because they're what's best for us in life, then we don't just have what's best for us in life. We have what's best for us in eternity. The Spirit of God. This is what Jesus is promising here. This is why. This is why as a Christian I'd say it's so, so important to turn to Christ in every aspect of our lives. Last week up at Perry Street, I spoke about the danger of being a Sunday morning Christian. And it is so, so dangerous because God knows everything. God sees us on a Sunday morning, but he also sees us on a Friday night. He sees us on a Monday morning when we get into the office and have a moan. He sees us at every different stage of life, of our, of our working week, of our family week. Everything, God sees us. God is with us. If we are obedient... I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. Forever. So this isn't just a promise for the disciples. This isn't just for their generation or their lifetime. This is eternity. This promise is open for eternity. He will be with you forever. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Last Sunday, um, in the afternoon, I went to a, a friend's child's birthday party. It was a first birthday party. And um, <coughs> while I was there, I got talking to someone who I've not seen in several years. And um, this person had heard 
of my career change and they, they asked how it was all going and I, I explained a bit. And they made the statement, that, um, they said, oh, I've, I've always been religious. This isn't the sort of person I'd expect that statement to come from. I said, have you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've always been religious. I believe in God. I said, oh, well, that's, that's great. You know, if you ever want to talk about that, then, you know, one-year-old's birthday party isn't really the right setting for a sort of theological exploration, is it? Um, I said, if you ever want to talk about that, that'd be, that'd be great. Well, I just, I, I believe in God, but I don't believe in any religion in particular. And as I say, it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't a time or place, but I just wanted to say that's, that's just such a, <coughs> a, a theologically foolish thing to say. If you've ever read anything from any religion, you'll, you'll know that it doesn't give us the, op- the option to have that sort of unlimited theology. It's just a lazy excuse for saying, yeah, I'm aware that God's there. I've got no doubt about that, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to tell people I'm religious. What does that mean? How can you be religious without doing anything? How can you believe in something and not, not believe in it to the extent that you want to do it? You know, if you, if you believe passionately in a sports team, you go and see them, you, you, you support them, you, you actually vocalise your support, or you might, you might donate something or give funds, or, you know, you show support. If you're passionate about, if you're passionate about charity, then you give to charity, you, you give in, not just financially, but you give time, you volunteer. You know, the, this country is very, very good at uh, passionately supporting causes and giving to things, but we're not very good at actually believing in something. You see, Jesus doesn't give us the choice of saying, yeah, I believe in God, but don't give me all your church stuff. Jesus says that the two are closely linked. You've got to, you've got to obey my command. You see, Jesus won't leave us as orphans. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me. The world will not see me. The world is full of people that says, yeah, I think there's something there. I I believe in God. I'll read my horoscope. Or I've got uh, someone else I know who regularly pays 30 quid a pot to go and see a psychic. I said, well, what benefit is there? And there's nothing this person has ever said that's made me think, wow, that's interesting. It's everything, they they just get told facts about themselves that come up in conversation. That certain things you can tell just by meeting them, by talking to them, spending five minutes having a cup of coffee with them, and they they like a chat. And very quickly, you can can tell them all sorts of things about themselves that they don't realise they've told you. And you think you're paying 30 quid a time for this. One of the justifications that was given to me, when you pay for something, you feel like you're getting something back. I said, well, give me 30 quid and come to church. They haven't taken me up on that, unfortunately. But you see, the world is full of people that, that claim to have some sort of spiritual connection with something, but they don't know what. The world does not see Jesus. The world does not see the living God. Jesus says, before long, the world will not see me, but you will see me. Those of us who are obedient, those of us who, who are faithful, those of us who claim Jesus, who are not um, generic in, well, I sort of, I, I believe in a God, but I'm not going to say which one. Those of us that waste breath with silly statements like that, that are empty and meaningless, they don't see Jesus. But those of us that commit to Christ, we do. 
And we do receive the Holy Spirit. We do receive the Counselor, the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter, the Friends, the Helper. This intimate relationship that we can have which allows us to call God our Father. And there's the promise, isn't there? Because I live, you also will live. Jesus has defeated the grave. He's defeated death. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, living today. And because of that, we are in him, he is in us. We too, we too will die a a death on earth. Of course we will. We know that. We've heard this morning of someone who was very dear to this church, who has experienced her earthly death this week. But we also know that she's now with Christ, as alive as he is, at the right hand of the Father. Jesus says, on that day you will realise that I'm in my Father, you are in me, and I'm in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them is the one who loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love and show myself to him. See, love is the bond that holds all this together. If we love Jesus, we'll keep his commands. If we love him, then he he comes into us through his spirit, the spirit that God sends for that purpose. Later on in in John... Excuse me. In John chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus says, The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded. So, in other words, Jesus is the model that we should follow. When Jesus says to us, If you love me, you will obey what I command, Jesus says, Look, look to me for an example. Once again, he, he always points to himself. This is why we follow him. Jesus says, I love my Father and I carry out exactly what he has commanded me to do. And he was just about to go to Gethsemane. He was just about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was just about to pray and say, Lord, take this cup of suffering from me, but your will be done. He was just about to say, Lord, please don't make me go through with the anguish, the pain, the, the misery and the suffering of the cross. But if that is your will, I will do it. You see, sometimes we are called to do things that are painful, things that hurt, things that we think, well, come on, this can't be the act of a loving God, but it is. We have to be obedient. We have to be obedient because when we go through those things, we don't go through them on our own. We go through them <coughs> with the presence of the spirit of truth the counsellor, the comforter, the helper, the friend, the Holy Spirit. God himself is with us at those times. If we turn and run, then we leave him to face the cross on his own. But if we accept that sometimes we have to be obedient, sometimes we have to accept that we don't understand the process, the logic, why certain things are happening, but we trust in God because we love him and we are obedient. John 15, chapter 12. 
Jesus has spent a long time talking to his disciples, bidding them farewell, telling them that he's soon not going to be there with them. Reassuring them that there will be one who is sent in his place. Telling them that this this spirit will not just be for them, but will be for all, for eternity. He's spoken time and time again. He says several times, if you love me, you will obey what I command. He's spoken about the importance of keeping his commands and we can think back to the Ten Commandments. We can think back to the two most important commandments that Jesus already identified, loving God and loving your neighbour. But actually he gives us an even simpler command. He doesn't say follow the Torah and all the rules there. He doesn't say follow the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say follow those two. He says, he says my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. John fifteen twelve. Love each other as I have loved you. And then, just for those that really, really haven't got it, those that have got the mental capacity of a goldfish, he boils it down even further. Verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. He brings it down just three words. Love each other. So if we're going to be obedient, what does that mean? It means loving each other. It means sharing in that love. It means being there for one another, supporting one another. Holding up the arms when they're struggling. I love that analogy earlier. That's love. That's the command. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. And then he made it clear. His command is just love each other. If you love me, you'll love each other. And then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who will be with you for eternity. Who will fill your hearts. Who will bless you. Who will get you through the the hardest points of life. But will also get you through the best and most joy-filled moments as well. The Holy Spirit that celebrates with you. that, That is there for you every step of the way. You see, the great thing about this passage is... It saves us a lot of money, this passage. I realised that this week as I was planning. You see, I've always thought how great it would be to do a trip to the Holy Land. I've never never been to the Holy Land. I'm sure some of you have. Um, And I'd still like to go, but I kind of felt that it was was, um, almost necessary. It's something I really, really wanted to do. And as I was studying that this week and I was thinking, I thought, why? Why Why do I sort of feel this need to go there? And I thought of the journey that you'd take. You'd get on a plane, you'd fly, um, you'd fly over, over Belgium and you'd go over the point of um, where William Tyndale was, was martyred, where he's burned at the stake and that would trigger in my mind thoughts of um, the translation of scripture and, and the way that the Bible is available to all and that would be, that'd be an interesting um, thought process. And then you'd go over Switzerland and think of Calvin and what he did in the Renaissance um, the Reformation even, um, and then you'd think of Martin Luther, similar things, as you went over Germany, and eventually you'd go over um, perhaps Turkey and um, uh, Ephesus. Um, you might even, I, I, my geography isn't what it should be, um, at some point you'd go somewhere near Rome and you'd think of, of the, the letters that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, to the Romans, the, the way that scripture develops over time and the way the Bible was put together and our understanding and the teaching 
And then eventually you'd get to Israel. And you might go to Capernaum, where Jesus sort of set up shop and spent a lot of time. To Nazareth, where he was brought up and learnt his trade as a carpenter. Um, You might go to Bethlehem, where he was born. But eventually you would end up, I think it's fair to say, in Jerusalem. And you'd see all these different sites and it would be amazing. But it would be a very expensive trip. So rather than doing that, I thought, well, it would be interesting. I'd I'd love to get to know the congregation better. I'd love to know everyone's faith history. Where did you first go to Sunday school? Where did, who were the big influences? Where did you go to church? Where did you get baptised? Where did you um, make your, your step of faith at the, the point where you actually called yourself a Christian and passionately began to practice your faith and be obedient to the commands of scripture? But again, that'd be that'd take a long old time wouldn't it, to learn all that? As great as it would be. You see, pilgrimages are very expensive. But this passage saves us money. Because Jesus says here, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go and kneel by the wailing wall or see the sights of Jerusalem. You don't have to go to the old temple or do any of that stuff. You don't have to go on that journey. Put your your bank card away. You don't need that. What you need to do is love each other in your immediate community. Love your family, love your friends, love your neighbours, love your community, love your country, love your world. Love each other everywhere you go. Be the, 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 the person that people want to be themselves. Treat others the way that you'd have them treat you. Love each other. If we do that, then there's no need at all to go anywhere because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Each one of us is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Each one of us. Each one of us is part of the New Jerusalem. We don't have to go anywhere. The Holy Spirit is right here. Just to finish this morning. What I can tell you about chocolate is that it started off with the Aztecs in South America. They discovered this bean and they mixed it with chilli and they could get juice out of it and they would, I think they'd roast it and then do something with it and they'd make a drink out of it. And when the Spanish got to um, uh, Mexico, I think it was, in the 1540s, they had some of this stuff and they decided they quite liked it. And eventually, once the Spanish had uh, destroyed the Aztec Empire, um, they took this closely guarded secret this, this stuff that was only made by the Aztecs in South America. They took it back to Spain. And they, they, they enjoyed it, they liked it, but it was quite expensive to import it. And so it was, again, kept in Spain for, for a long old time. It was just Spanish. No one else knew about this secret drink they had. And then a, a Spanish king married a French princess or something. Again, my history is as bad as my geography. And the French got older chocolate. And of course, they suddenly thought, oh, this is um, magnifique. Um, that's supposed to be French, by the way. Um, and they started commercialising it, and they started spreading it, and then it went to Belgium, it went to Germany, it came over to England. And when it came over to England, of course, um, 
The, the English went and started trying to source this stuff and find out where it would grow and, and how they could make their own. And, and the, the claim of Cadbury yesterday, and I'm not, I'm not um, doubting it, is that Cadbury never, ever did anything other than serve pure, um, pure chocolate. The, the, the cocoa powder was never mixed. Apparently others used to put brick dust in it and things like that and interfere with it um, to, uh, to increase the quantity. And it, was, it, was some, it was, could be quite dangerous sometimes. But the best stuff was the pure stuff the stuff that was completely unadulterated. And it became more and more popular. And at one point it was seen as, as having health benefits. Hot chocolate was very good for you. At one point it was, it was seen as, as the, the drink of the rich. If you could afford to drink hot chocolate, then you were clearly... It was a real status symbol. Um, at another time it was given to uh, night watchmen and police um, as they were, were doing night shifts because it was believed to be a stimulant to wake you up and to keep you going. Went through all these different different changes, and now, of course, here we are. If you want a chocolate bar, you just nip round to the newsagents. You buy one, a pound or less, I don't know. But that's what you do. We take it for granted, don't we? It's just available everywhere. One time, it was the most precious commodity in the world. You see, when Jesus gives the Holy Spirit here, He's releasing it on all people. He's saying the day is going to come. Pentecost, as we now know it, is going to come. It's not long after my death after my resurrection, after you've seen me walking, you've touched the wounds, you've seen me appearing amongst you despite having seen me dead on the cross, my spirit is going to be poured out for everybody. And it's going to be available everywhere. Anyone in the world can have access to the Holy Spirit, this counsellor, this friend, this helper. You see, once... Only one person, the high priest, could enter into the presence of God. Just like, and I appreciate the analogy isn't perfect, but they never are, are they? But once, if you'd wanted to taste chocolate, you'd have had to go all the way to South America and go to the, the chief of the Aztecs and dine at his table. Chocolate now is available cheaply anywhere. The Holy Spirit isn't available cheaply. It's available free to anyone who is obedient to the command of Jesus to love each other. And it's far, far sweeter than any confectionery known to man. Let's pray.